0: You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustine Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith.
1: Welcome to Forum Now. Uh, You're joining us for our series on holy women you've never heard of. So we've drawn together some uh, more obscure saints from throughout the tradition that we have been attracted to and want to share with you. Uh, I'm Dr. Elizabeth Klein. I'm here today with Dr. Jess Murdoch. We're both professors who teach here at the Augustine Institute. Uh, And this final episode, we're jumping way ahead in time. We just did a medieval saint from the 14th century. Now we're jumping to the 19th century uh, with a a blessed, so not, uh, not fully canonized, but blessed Mary Ann Blondin. So she lived basically throughout the entire 19th century. So she lived from 1809 to 1890. So she lived 81 years, which is you know a lot longer than some of the medieval and early saints uh, who didn't have um, as much medical care as we do now. So she lived a long life. Uh, and I'm the one who picked this one. Uh, Blessed Mary Ann Blondin is from Quebec. She's a Canadian saint, uh, and I'm Canadian. Uh, and when I'm on maternity leave, I try to, like, read the saint of the day. You know, you're, like, stuck, nursing, whatever. Uh, and <laughs> this is a particular saint that her story uh, just really stuck with me. So I, when we were thinking about this list of women, she just came to mind. I thought she'd be someone really beautiful to talk about. So as I mentioned, uh, Blessed Mary and Blondin is from Quebec. Uh, so this is the French-speaking province of Canada. So that was the part settled by the French. Um, so it was strongly Catholic, maybe not so much today. but in those times, definitely. So she was the third child of a family of 12, uh, and she was this, the daughter of a farmer, um, so not a very wealthy family, uh, had no education, and so she was illiterate, uh, could not read or write until she was 20 years old. Uh, and at that time, she received um, education from religious sisters to read and write. Uh, and this was just very powerful and transformative for her, so she intended to join uh, that order uh, but was uh, prevented from doing so due to health problems. But after she recovered from her health problems, uh, she sought permission to found a new order, uh, and her goal was to give to all of the other sort of uh, rural poor of Quebec uh, what she herself had been given, uh, and be able to teach sort of mm-hmm. children um, of all ages from from all around the countryside. Um, so that's kind of uh, the beginning of her story. Um, and at this time, you know, many parishes were too poor to start a school. So the idea yeah, of heaven. what is that? What was the situation
0: in Canada at the time?
1: Yeah, so um, you know, there's there's a novel to Marie Chapdelaine which is about sort of the rural uh, poor of Quebec. I haven't read it myself, but Dr. Bloom of the Yeson Institute has recommended it to me, so I mm-hmm. should, I should turn to it. But um, so in the history of Canada, right, you had the French that settled parts of Canada and you had the British who settled other parts of Canada. Eventually, they come to blows over who gets control over Mm -hmm. the territory. Uh, And, you know, on the Plains of Abraham, the French lose. And so they lose sort of territorial control over Canada and the English take over. And then after that time, uh, after the fall of the French regime, you do have this very kind of impoverished, depressed situation Uh in the French-speaking parts of Canada. And so that's where you kind of have this situation of all of these children who can't read or write, you know, all over the place. And lots of these big Catholic families, uh, you know, Having a difficult time supporting their families and teaching, so yeah. this was really this was really needed, uh, and it was something that she saw. She just saw the plight of all of these all of these children, and part of it, uh, the difficulty was at that time uh, there was a church rule that there was not supposed to be mixed classrooms mm-hmm. of boys and girls, and so most parishes couldn't afford two different interesting schools, so they just didn't have any, uh, and so she kind of uh, managed to like. Relax that rule and teach mixed classes, and sort of have her sisters have her sisters teach. Uh, and when she uh, said she wanted to start this order, at the time her spiritual director told her, "Oh, you want to start an order? Then you've chosen the cross." Uh, mm-hmm. And he he couldn't have known how prophetic it was because her story, uh, well, it's quite frankly a little bit depressing, <laughs> but uh, it's it's inspiring nonetheless. So a- about four years after she, so she was the mother superior of the order. The order really flourished. Uh, her talents for teaching were well known. Um, I think they had like something like 30 sisters after only you know, three or four years mm. after the foundation of the order. Uh, but during this time, they had no chaplain. You know, they're the spurgeoning order. The bishop didn't have anyone to spare. Uh, and finally he does. He sends them a new chaplain, a young man. Uh, and you know, the details of why exactly he didn't like uh, uh, Blessed Mary Ann is, is not totally clear. Um, but it seemed like he was very zealous and had a lot of energy, which meant he was very controlling over the community. Mm-hmm. And he came to sort of have a lot of tension with her. Yeah. Uh, and He just he just seemed to really have it out for her. So he, oh. um, you know, these tensions became known to the bishop. Um, and although the bishop had exchanged many letters with Mary Ann and was very uh, favorable and fatherly towards her, he asked her to resign as mm. head of the order to resolve these conflicts and not to take that post, uh, which she did. Um, and you know, you, it was obviously difficult for her. It wasn't like super easy, but at the same time, I think she felt a bit of a relief of the burden of sort of shepherding all these mm-hmm. all these souls. And so then she was kind of the director of a school instead. Uh, but this uh, this chaplain just didn't didn't think she should have any posting of any authority. So he really pushed to have her not also the director of a school. So. She describes her experience, especially in one particular year, as her being like reduced to zero. So she was wow. taken no active duties at all. Um, I think, yeah, she didn't really do anything for a time, uh, and it was even not even on the list of the registers of nuns, mm-hmm. just kind of completely forgotten. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, she then she does get some duties, but they're mostly like domestic duties, um, like the laundry. Uh, and there was, you know, after they started collecting witnesses of her life, um, some of the sisters witnessed her saying things like, well, if Jesus wants me to do laundry, then so what?
0: Mm, what profound humility.
1: Just very, yeah. And and you can tell from some of her letters, I didn't get a chance to read her whole life because it was long and in French, but I did read parts of it. <laughs> uh, and you can tell that this wasn't like easy for her instantly, mm-hmm. uh, but that she really did develop this kind of total surrender to the providence of God.
0: I can't imagine starting an order, having the order be successful. And then being reduced to the laundress,
1: and people not even like later sisters not even knowing that you were the founder even had a role that you knew who you even were. Cause she lives till she's eighty one, wow. and she suffers this humiliation like when she's in her forties. So and she
0: could so easily have lashed out at the chaplain. It's interesting. Yeah, and she and not one might even think she would be warranted to do so or to at least defend her name.
1: Absolutely. And not only does she not do that, but she eventually, when she gets the job as sacristan. She writes to the bishop to tell him how grateful she is for having this role as sacristan, because she gets to spend so much time with the Lord, and because she gets a daily chance to see the chaplain, mm-hmm. and so that she can sort of ask for forgiveness or be reconciled to him. Wow! And so it is—it's a very, it's a very beautiful witness, and it just, it just stuck with me, her story, uh, because it's so heroic and so silent, you know?
0: Yes. Yeah. I was going to ask you, why were you uh, attracted to her in particular? I
1: think maybe like in the middle of breastfeeding, you're attracted to being reduced to zero. I don't (laughs) know. (laughs) I don't know. I understand that myself. (laughs) but just Yeah, just this idea of the Lord's providential arrangement of your life that's very difficult to accept. I mean, there are times Mm -hmm. when you have to do things that you don't want to do and there are times, which m- this may even be harder, when you're asked to sacrifice even what you think your talents are. Mm. You know, when you're asked to sacrifice what you think you could give and be told, like, we don't need, we don't need that right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that can be even more difficult than giving is being told mm-hmm. that that's not for now or that you're not needed or wanted. Right. And for her to reach a place where she feels totally loved by God and where God means for her to be... Even when clearly she was a talented teacher, clearly a talented, uh, you know, organizer, uh, because she founded this successful order, uh, that she was able to accept that that's not what God was calling her to do for the last 40 years of her life, which right. which is, I think, would be a very, like, that would be a very bitter pill for, mm-hmm. for me. And I especially, like, I really hate being, like, stuck under an infant all day and just Being, (laughs) you know, just feeling like I can't even stand up, I can't even shower, I can't even, Mm -hmm. I just find that part of having a young child very difficult. And so I think I was just attracted to her Mm -hmm. complete surrender to that situation. It's like, Surrender
0: and also just detachment. I mean, she shows tremendous detachment from basically everything. I mean, you you keep underscoring the 40 years. 40 years is a long time to endure an injustice. Mm -hmm. Uh. Just to enjoy, just to endure it, just mm-hmm. to endure an injustice for forty years, and to but and then to be
1: detached from from it all. And it's, I mean, it's so it's so Christ-like. I mean, to say forgive them mm-hmm. if they don't know what they're doing, to forgive somebody while they're still wrong, while they're still wronging you, and still in your presence. In the case of the chaplain, I mean, mm-hmm. and who knows like what his particular sins were, but he was the cause of her sort of downfall. Mm-hmm. But to be daily in his presence and being wanting to be reconciled to him. Uh, despite him being sort of the cause of this. It's It's, very painful. It's very painful. And I think, I mean, whether we like it or not, there's a lot of people who have been hurt by the church. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of people who've been hurt by priests who made bad decisions or apostolates who had unfair policies or parishioners with no sympathy for those who are working in the church. And working for the church is really hard and is often very thankless. Uh, And I think she's just a beautiful example of saying like Christ suffered for his church, and I can too. Mm. And Christ was treated badly by his own people. And when I experience that, I'm in solidarity with Christ. Um, I think that's I think that's very difficult. It's especially difficult uh, when it happens in the context of the church to be wronged yes. in that way. You can feel, yeah, this more indignation or like this heightened sense of the injustice. Uh, but instead, she sort of found unity with Christ right. uh, in that because that's also what he... Sort of suffered and experienced,
0: and on the more mundane level, she could almost be a patron of uh, mothers. Uh, yeah, I call her of my patron. She's like laundry. <laughs> she's like my patron. She's like my patron
1: saint of laundry. <laughs> like, she's
0: like the patron of laundry. God huh? wants me to
1: do laundry, so what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> then that's what I'll do. We all have to do laundry.
1: Yeah, we all have to do laundry, and even that can be offered up to God. Even the foundress of religious orders, uh, even, well, she was reduced to doing laundry all the time, which thankfully most of us don't have to do. But, but yeah, totally. I totally see her as a kind of like patron patron of of mundane life and of and of hidden life and that's I mean that's the life of so many so many people so many mothers but also you know people in religious orders too Mm -hmm. who a lot of it's just the daily that's the self and doing what you're asked um and her example of of obedience is just you know so so extreme Mm -hmm. hopefully most of us still have to go through an extreme being reduced to zero. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, I think sh- her heroic response to that is is very is very instructive. And so, but also kind of the hopeful side of it, other than like her, you know, dying in the laundry room or whatever, not not literally, <laughs> uh, is that we don't we just don't we don't know the consequences of all of our holy actions. Mm. We can't see them. You know, we don't know. When we've made a good choice, what difference it makes, mm-hmm. and she has she could not have known right that twenty thirty years after her death, the new chaplain discovers her writings, discovers her life, interviews the sisters about her, and and she right. ends up being canonized. I mean, you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't know that. Yes, uh, and so yes. it's just a kind of strong exhortation to do what is right and do what is good, and to pursue personal holiness and to let God decide mm. how to use that. And we don't always get to see, even in our own life, we may do some good deed that affects somebody down the line and we we never know about it. Hopefully we'll know about it on the other side, right. uh, but we don't know about it. Uh, and so to just to have that um, confidence in providence and the, uh, God's ability to use even our laundry work that seems like nobody will ever know about this. <laughs> now everybody who's watching this program will know about <laughs> her heroic doing of laundry uh, right. that she could not have foreseen. So... Well, thank you for letting me choose a favorite Canadian saint. Had to Had to fit one in there. I hope you found the story of Blessed Mary Ann Blondin inspiring and, and by praying for her intercession. Uh, Blessed Mary Ann Blondin, pray, pray for us. us.
0: You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press, with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, eBooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.